Thank you for tuning in to Sparks and Honey's Daily Culture Briefing. My name is Ben Grinspan, and today we're going to be looking at culture in the vertical, using Q, our cultural intelligence platform, to unpack trends and changes in human behavior. Uh, joining me today as my co-briefer, we've got a couple of remote people and one person joining, uh, uh, joining the panel live. So my co-briefer for today, Devery Velazquez. Hello, Devery. And then typifying uh, the remote work conversation that we're going to be talking about all day, we have uh, Queenie, who is joining us from sunny, lush-looking uh, Los Angeles, and then, of course, Annalie Killian from the south of France. And uh, also joining me from four feet away uh, is Catherine Lynn. And as I hinted at today, guys, we're going to be talking about uh, remote work culture. And we're actually calling this briefing Work From Tulum, right? You can work from home. You can work from your parents' home. And yes, there are some people who are also working from the Riviera Maya. And so the big question today uh, as we uh, get into the, our elements of culture is there's kind of this question about what a working vacation is. And really, is it an oxymoron? Is it impossible to take a vacation and work at the same time? Or is it the next big thing that's going to define how we live, how we work, and how we vacation going forward? So we're going to pick that apart, look at a couple of really interesting different signals coming from the workers themselves, from companies, um, perhaps even some technological impacts to this. So um, let's dive into that EOC map. And I'm really excited uh, I'm, I'm not excited to see this. It's, it's an interesting thing to pop up. Um, you know, we've done an EOC refresh, so you guys are going to be seeing some new elements of culture. And one that popped up uh, uh, on the top here, in part because we included it in the Boolean, is talking about um, as our new EOC uh, mental health pandemic, which is us thinking about the ways in which uh, mental health is really at the forefront of, of so much of what we're looking at in consumer and human culture. So it's not surprising that it's here, we're, you know, Vacations have a real mental health purpose. There is a reason why people talk about that. We'll actually get into that in our final signal today. But I do love seeing that today. I think some other important new EOCs that have popped up. Eco-wellness, finding your wellness in, in, in greenery makes a ton of sense. Um, and I'll even point out punk healthier. What is more punk health than uh, perhaps demanding you prioritize uh, your vacation time? Devery, any other elements of culture here that you feel like are, are important for us to, to cover today? I think you touched on all of the really important ones that are going to tell like a story of the overarching theme, which is really about responsible travel, mm -hmm. um, you know, and people serving their mental health needs um, through community initiatives. Yeah, love that. All right. Well, let's dive into those signals. And we'll start here with that term that we were talking about, the working vacation. So for briefing fans from pre-pandemic, you'll recall uh, an emerging microtrend that we talked a lot about called leisure travel, uh, where people, many young, many millennials, many on their first business trips, tag a couple extra days of vacation on to, say, that conference they go to in Nashville or that business trip uh, in San Diego. Uh, cut to two years of remote work and a major freeze on travel, and we're seeing the emergence of a new related but different trend, and that's the working vacation. Blog Moto explored this trend uh, in this signal. Um, and the new behaviors uh, that we learned in 2020 are now manifesting themselves in 2022, right? A recent survey from Airbnb is backing this up, and we're finding that uh, people are extending Airbnb stays, hinting that people are not only going somewhere for a little bit of vacation time, but tacking some uh, remote work on as well. So what do these trips actually look like? Well, uh, Nicole Nichols, a research director at a consultancy firm, told Bustle recently, quote, that she and her husband left Boston over the summer for a week-long working vacation with another couple in the Berkshires. It was essentially elevated work-from-home experience, Nichols uh, tells Bustle. But I guess the real question is, can you enjoy Tanglewood or Tulum or Thailand 
if you're working instead of vacationing. Then that's really the crux of the conversation that we're gonna have today. Can the two things exist at once? So I wanna very quickly survey the panel. I know I was joking about our friends joining us remote. I'm curious if anybody here today has done the working vacation and how that went. I experimented my, with it a little bit myself uh, earlier this year, but I'm curious if any of you guys have that sort of firsthand experience. Yes. Uh, I can categorically say it doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I have done it many times. I have been a single mother um, taking, you know, led large teams of people and then taken vacation uh, with my children and then being roped back into office staff, into managing people, dealing with crises at the office as you do when you're an executive and you have to manage people, it's it doesn't work. The mm. moment that you pick up that phone, you you you're sending a signal to your family that they are not important in this moment of your holiday, at a time that they've waited on for a long long time uh, to have exclusive time with you. And then the moment that you're uh, um, back in the mindset of the office, uh, there goes your sanctity for the holiday. Yeah. I don't believe that those two coexist. All right. Well, that's one take. Devery, can I bring you in here? Devery, I don't know if you guys know about this about her. Devery vacations very well. Uh, she is an expert in this. And I, I'm curious, I, I don't know if you've taken one, but I'm curious if you would be interested in taking one or does Annalise's negative experience sound like this is the kind of thing that's maybe for some people or maybe not for anybody at all? Well, I'm a huge proponent for solo travel. And I think that for me not having to uh, you know, consider anyone else's itinerary or schedule or needs or preferences than myself, um, especially when vacationing. I find it really rich and, and exciting to go to local coffee shops and get some work done while still partaking in, uh, you know, a local experience. It's, it's sort of the, you know, two birds with one stone. We have to find an updated, uh, <laughs> way of saying that yeah. in 2022, but yeah. I love that. Hannah, did you want to join us? Yeah, we do a lot of work here around changing um, travel behaviors. And one client we worked with um, spoke to us a lot about the idea that the word vacation actually has a lot of like short-term implications. I mm. think what a lot of people found with working vacations is that you're traveling, but all of a sudden, you know, from Monday to Friday, you're not actually seeing anything. But what we are seeing is a really big change in like lifestyle work, like um, working lifestyle changes. Mm -hmm. So we have a lot of like longer term stays and that way you can, you know, have kind of like a, um, a, a, a change of pace, a new lifestyle change. Um, and you can stay somewhere for a longer period of time. So you actually feel like you're having this like vacation, um, you know, kind of sentiment but it really is like a, a time thing. Yeah, I think that reframing is a really important part of the, the, the question here. And as we explore, I think what we're calling these sort of digital nomads who like Devery can pick up uh, their laptop and go work from, I don't know, Hamburg or wherever she finds herself. Um, there is an important question here about the digital side of things. HR Daily Advisor notes in this piece that IT is at the forefront of this movement, created in part by the pandemic, and technology is enabling this nomadic work environment. So we actually recently explored uh, just this topic for a major technology brand and found a couple of important things that were related um, to the ability to, to work right uh, remotely. And one thing, obviously, is uh, your IT has to keep up 
with you, you know, if you're working uh, in a job with intense secrecy, with trade secrets, stuff like that, like your VPN needs to be functional or there is almost no reason to work remote. Another really important thing that we found is that this technology has to be human facing, right? Um, if you make that, if you make the, the sort of remote work technology cumbersome, people are not going to want to engage with it uh, because it's, it's too slow. It's too, it's, it's too difficult. And that's going to rein in any potentially what Hatto is getting out about sort of these sort of long stay work from vacation sort of things. And what's more, the ability in a chaotic world to work remote also has some impact on just that topic of mental health. I mean, with, with this client we talked about, you know, uh, potentially new variants of, of the coronavirus, climate change, civil unrest. There are moments where you need to be away from the office. And whether you're away uh, working in Tulum or at your kitchen table, if the technology isn't there, uh, it's just not going to happen. And so there are really practical implications uh, before we can talk about, you know, zipping off to Antarctica to go, I don't know, write, uh, run a, <laughs> run a stand-up meeting. So I guess one question uh, for, for the panel here is, is a remote-friendly workplace one where people um, take more vacations with some work that's tacked on? Like, can you build a workplace where people feel more comfortable to pick up and work from wherever inspires them, as, as Devery gets at? Queenie, can I ask I you... Think that, that, that we, I'm sorry. No, I ahead. do think that it... It empowers a, a sense of personal agency, um, you know, to the employee, which I think would ultimately turn into, you know, a more fulfilling experience for everyone. Yeah. Um, so I think that, you know, it's the, the challenge is maybe getting employers on board with the idea or the concept because they just see an empty office space. But, mm. you know, if if that's if they are aren't willing to budge uh you know in terms of, of not letting uh you know employees have that freedom of remote flexibility then it goes back to previous conversations we've had um in last week's briefings around like trauma informed design and yeah. things that really consider um a new way to look at interior spaces um as a means of really enticing people to feel comfortable and safe in their workplace Queenie, would you want to jump in here? I mean, I think we know that companies, look, companies have their own internal culture, and I think they often have their own internal vacation culture. Can you build an internal vacation culture with technology, with uh, policy that makes people feel like, yeah, actually, I, I, I feel empowered to go spend April in Lisbon or something? Yeah, I kind of, I feel like that could, I could see us going in that direction where companies provide that, like Devery was saying, that, that, agency and opportunity for empowerment and just having people take a little bit more charge in in that life. Um, I think something that companies might want to consider going forward is just even the terms work versus vacation. I mean, in mm -hmm. many ways, they are opposite in their connotation. Is there a world where we see them blurring and maybe it's kind of like less about a working vacation and just working from somewhere cool or working from somewhere inspiring? So I, I do think, I mean, I have a like mixed feelings about this. It's like on one hand, I see us going in that direction, especially as we talk about Gen Z and the incoming workforce and mental health and happiness and all, how all those things affect our productivity and our creativity and the work we put out. Um, on the other hand, I think it is, we do have some reframing to do to think about what we mean by vacation, what we mean by work, what those things look like now as we as we go into kind of a new phase in, in culture. Um, and then the very last part, you know, we're talking about tech and um, the internet and enabling this kind of lifestyle. And I think it is important to think about 
um, how remote work really is still a really big privilege, like the, totally. the rest of the world. It's not a norm yet by any stretch of the imagination. So I think just, you know, putting on my social inequality hat too, is just thinking about the, the more global implications of this and what, what the world might look like going forward. Um, do we have like exacerbating gaps and all of that? Yeah, it's Queenie. It's funny. Funny. It's funny you mentioned that because my one takeaway from this too is that, like, yeah, we can talk about working remote and working from anywhere, but can you really work from anywhere? I mean, some of the world has amazing uh, IT infrastructure and really good fat, high-speed internet, but a lot of the world doesn't, and some of the world has great uh, high-speed internet, but that's controlled by a government that only wants to visit certain websites. So I think that lens of uh, of, of both localization and about privilege is, is obviously a really important thing for us to consider in this conversation. But as we're talking about digital nomads, Devery, I wanted you, uh, would you like to tell us through about this signal about the rise of sort of the silver digital nomad? Yeah, so when we talked about culture, this culture, you know, usually we, we're talking about this shift um, in terms of the younger generation, you know, Gen Z that's really driving this um, cultural shift that's happening. But we rarely, you know, it's rarely brought up that people aged over 50 are actually also benefiting from this era and this movement. So the signal that we pulled from Aegis uh, shines a light on a recent partnership between T-Mobile and age-positive professional uh, networking platform Circle uh, to discuss the rise of older nomads. For this age group, there is a particular shift around something called unretirement, which is acknowledging the deferral of traditional retirement and instead choosing to age gracefully through maintaining a paycheck while leading a lifestyle of leisure. As we all know, retirement in America is expensive. Uh, the median savings for people in their 60s to comfortably retire is around $172,000 in America. And the traditional idea of moving to Florida to play bingo uh, until you die is just not jiving well with most <laughs> people these days. So unretirement certainly helps sort of transform this idea. Um, and it's, it's helping people over 50 become, uh, you know, interested in the idea of uh, being a, a digital nomad as they also earn around 75,000 a year on average while enjoying a lower cost of living. So Queenie, I wanna ask you this question. Um, you know, to me, the signal rattles off or, or the signal rattles off a list of employment sites that uh, can help people seek di digital nomad friendly positions. And I see this as a great retention initiative for older employees. And I'm interested in your take on that. Yeah, I have two immediate reactions to it. So the first is I do like that this gives people more options in terms of what retirement or retirement age looks like, um, especially, as you said, with rising costs associated with retirement. So I love that that piece there. Um, I also love that it could be a really good transition period for folks who are perhaps ready to leave the traditional nine to five work, yeah. um, like in person in the office, but not quite ready to pull the trigger on all forms of employment. So I do like I do like the freedoms granted there. Um, one thing I question, though, is what the implications are for the labor market, um, as it could result in an interestingly top-heavy market where there's an oversaturation of folks up at the top of the age distribution and then less room for the younger ones to enter or move on up. And so culturally, I wonder if this will cause some sort of seismic shift in the workforce overall as people 
I don't know, like do the younger folks have to get more creative and mm. adjust accordingly? Um, you know, we talked about um, in another project about employment and economic opportunities in the metaverse. Yeah. Um, will the rise of digital nomads over 50 fuel that fire? Um, I, I see like I see a lot of kind of spider webbing um, domino effect sort of things going on. But for for the retirement age folks, I do like the idea that they have more options and more agency in designing what their retirement looks like. Much like we were talking about how um, folks overall have a bit more agency designing um, what work looks like. So I yeah. think I, I love that. That part of it I love, but it's just kind of like, what's gonna, what are the domino effects there? I'm struck. And I also just want to make a comment here because yeah. we tend to talk about people when we use the number 50 as if these are retirement folks. So most <laughs> people very cannot family. retire. And in some countries, the legal retirement age is 67 before you can actually access your, um, your pension. So, uh, you know, if you want to talk about retirees, then you'd have to talk about either very wealthy people that retire early or people 65 and over uh, largely. Um, I mean, I think there is an enormous opportunity that is being created for potentially people to start in earnest job sharing so that they can in fact have these hybrid lifestyles as yeah. well. So it could be that uh, it's an ideal opportunity for um, learning organizations to couple an, uh, an employee that is transitioning to retirement with a young Gen Z person in terms of mentoring and handover. So it's actually a way to retain key uh, corporate knowledge whilst at the same time uh, mentoring young people as they enter the organization. So really quickly, actually, before we move on, Kat, I want to put you on the spot here. I'm sitting here thinking, like, what, which brand does this play for? And I'm wondering, like, look, is the future... I, I just read there was a huge article in The New Yorker. I don't know if anybody read it about um, uh, Latitude by, uh, uh, by Margaritaville, which is a retirement community uh, on the Atlantic coast in Florida that is run by uh, the Jimmy Buffett company for Parrotheads, Jimmy Buffett's biggest fans, right? And it sort of got me thinking about retirement communities, and it's a slightly different model for one, and honestly, it's super successful. So, like, Kat, like, should WeWork be looking at the retirement community space where it's like, you know, uh, where there are actually some facilities to get some stuff done, but at the same time you're in, you know, tropical Florida or hanging out, I don't know, um, across the street from uh, Queenie's Lush Yard. What, 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 do you have any thoughts about, like, what this might mean for, like, a WeWork or a co-working space? Yeah, well, my first thought is that I would, I would love to see that TV show that comes out when this happens. <laughs> we crash the sequel. Yeah, um, but we retire. We retire. <laughs> I, I don't see, like, uh, actual spaces being dedicated for it, but I think there just needs to be a greater understanding that, like the side hustle bedroom that Gen Zer has, we now have yeah. the side hustle resort that may be more, mm. you know, uh, suited for people of retirement age, approaching retirement. Um, and the beauty of this group is that they have the money and the agency to search all around the world for where they want to work. And that yeah. doesn't have to be in a WeWork because that's the life that they're done with. They're done with the traditional employment model, having the water cooler conversations, all that stuff. So I think it's more of a focus on how we can give them maybe spaces in their own homes yeah. or vacation, space, vacation spaces where they can work from right. versus reviving co-working as that, that in itself is another briefing topic or the retirement condo with the little work nook which didn't yes. used to exist for example all right so yeah we... to add to, to Kat's thought that yeah. 
for me, this, this type of signal makes me think of two things. It makes me think, okay, in the future, can we expect to normalize the new, uh, you know, a new retire age, um, you know, retirement age? It is, is unretirement going to stick? Is that going to be a new expectation, a new uh, sort of plan in, in someone's career? Is, you know, at what age can I start unretiring? Uh, or, or, you know, also it makes me think of city planning and, and um, infrastructure as, uh, you know, things like Wi-Fi and things that will really um, pull in tourism. Like, will that be a new um, feature around, you know, pulling uh, tour tourism efforts um, when people are, are considering, uh, you know, cities are, are considering uh, digital nomads to become the norm. So I wonder what that looks like. I think that's a really good question. I also think, let's move to our next signal here, which I, which is so bizarre to me, but also completely related about the rise of the young snowbird. Debbie, tell us about this. So according to real estate agents, there's been a notable uptick in younger seasonal home buyers due to the pandemic, uh, ushering in flexible work arrangements starting in 2020. Um, according to the signal from money, these new buyers mostly present as young professionals with kids and pets. Uh, many of them are entrepreneurs and working remotely. And these people nicknamed uh, snowbirds and sunburn, uh, sun, sunbirds are known for migrating during seasons in order to split time between climates. But with remote work on the table now, there's a shift in housing considerations as commuting um, or proximity to a workplace isn't as much of a factor as it once was. Um, experts in hospitality, architecture, and real estate all seem to be on the same page when they agree that it's evident that buying is more flexible than ever, mm. and all you need is a laptop and strong Wi-Fi, and you're good to go. So my question, uh, Annalie, I'm interested in your take on this. Do you think that uh, the snowbird trend is here to stay uh, in the wake of the pandemic? I think it's uh, an option for the affluent. Once again, I think it's an elitist option. Um, however, I do think that if I was in real estate or uh, development, um, I would, or even in banking or financial services, I'd be looking at developing products for um, perhaps shared shared ownership models around um, this notion of. Um, having a second uh, home for um, remote work, uh, etc. Because I do think that people are um, people have in fact been mentally liberated from the office as a fixed mode of where work gets done, and the the entire culture has shifted to work is what you do wherever you are, um, as long as it's results-based, et cetera, it's, it's kind of more or less okay, unless you're in a, in a very physical job where you actually have to be physically present to be able to do your, your job. So for knowledge workers, um, I do think that there will be an expectation and a desire to be able to work in, in flexible ways from wherever and that could be um, through snowbirding or sunbirding. Incidentally, I was in Ketchum, Idaho uh, very recently and it's, uh, it's a ski resort and the entire resort is exploding 
Um, so much so that the workers can't afford accommodation in town because of these snow, snowbirders um, literally buying properties there in order to be able to ski. So they work in the morning and then they do a ski run in the afternoon or vice versa, or they go lunchtime and have a, a ski. And uh, so these destination places where there's, where there's a coming together of hobbies um, and the ability to work, I think will continue to attract people. So I think that's the really interesting you, point. First of all, I love that you brought up, um, I love that you brought up the, the timeshare. I've been looking at, we looked into this a little bit when we we're putting together this briefing. Uh, that model is like really exploitative and it seems like there is some interest in that space and asking how do you create a timeshare where people don't feel consistently screwed over um, by the company uh, who, who run them. But Annalie, I mean- And I, it's not the timeshare necessarily, um, Ben, because of house prices escalating so much in London, especially now that people are coming back after the, um, the pandemic. Uh, there is an increase in shared ownership, but it's not timeshare. So you have one property that maybe, you know, is a large house that is now getting subdivided with a shared title. Yeah. So uh, people might sort of subdivide the, the house into the ground floor, middle floor, um, top floor, and three different families can own it rather than one. All right. Uh, Debbie, sorry, I cut you off. What were you going to add? No, I think Annalie brings up a good point that I originally wasn't thinking of when, you know, when we put this story, this Q story together. Um, so, you know, we, I think a lot of these signals were on the surface level, like, you know, there was a very clear implication for certain age groups. Um, but I think Annalie is reminding me that a lot of this is actually, you know, impacted um, or affected by, by various, uh, socioeconomic statuses as well so yeah, you know and a lot of these things are rooted in financial privilege yeah. um you know mm -hmm. a lot of this uh, work from tulum theme that is happening here it's not accessible so yeah that was just a light bulb that went off no no and it's it's the right one and i'll, I'll add one other thing before we move on to our next signal about the privileged class <laughs> um it is funny i feel like where we where what anna lee pointed out here and where i I think this briefing is headed, which is great, is that the working vacation freaks people out a little bit, but the living a vacation lifestyle and working from there seems to be the option that people are more comfortable with. That said, this is a really cool signal. It's just a little one, but uh, something interesting from the New York Times. It's kind of the, we're talking about like working from vacation. This is more like vacationing at work. So Debbie, real quick, tell us about this, uh, this signal. So there's an emerging market right now in the, uh, for hospitality companies to serve so-called super commuters, uh, which are employees who moved out of the city, likely due to the pandemic, but must now return to the office a few days a week. Um, the offerings to a super commuter could include uh, things like a conference room or nap pod rental package uh, reserved for exhausted workers during a midweek office return. So Kat, um, I have my first question for you. You know, this to me, I think is a huge opportunity for hotels and travel companies. Um, how can, you know, normalizing super commuting amenities maybe help increase business efforts? Yeah, so I found this signal really interesting because as someone li living in Queens, I thought it would be great to have one of this just for going to Brooklyn um, <laughs> or anywhere that is uh, just a quick train right away. Um, but thinking to like incorporating super commuter amenities, um, the, I think the reason that 
this is kind of the way forward for many hotel businesses and travel is that it's no longer relying on the seasonal trends of travel, right? Where hotels used to make a lot of money, summer vacation, spring break. Yeah. And now that we're seeing also that rise in singletons where people can just, you know, pack up and work somewhere else, not have to worry about anything. Um, there is a very valuable opportunity to capitalize on these amenities. But I think another area of opportunity is incorporating wellness design, right? We've had multiple briefings talk about wellness. Um, so being able to create that home away from home that people can stay at for, you know, two to three days a week yeah. is definitely really important. Um, and I can see that I could kind of see almost like a we live situation, but yeah. in a way where it's very much removed from well, the Tish brand. Yes. It's one of but those. But to Annalise's mm-hmm. point, I, I just worry that if, if that was being implemented, uh, that it wouldn't push out local uh, community members, you know. Yeah, it's really hard to keep up. That's the Airbnb tension. Also, this reminds me, are we reinventing the single residency, like the single resident occupancy rooms, which were like popular in the 18th (laughs) and 19th century, where you'd like go and work in a city and then occasionally leave to go back to the farm? Uh, (laughs) Okay. Uh, I mean, I I can actually see once again opportunity here. Uh, So imagine um, you chose to stay in the big city um, and you know, you're in some kind of a hybrid office environment where you have to be in the office Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And somebody else needs to come um, into the the office or, you know, like there is an opportunity to perhaps have some kind of a home swap scenario where you could have people that, uh, you know, like have a, a hybrid kind of a situation where you could make your home available for uh, Airbnb, um, say from Fridays to Tuesdays, and then you know for the rest of the time you're in the office. But there's very, very interesting innovation opportunities here for um, uh, people who are really leaning into these kinds of uh, behavioral shifts. Yeah. Um, as long as we're talking about new models, let's talk about this signal here from. Uh, I think that's. Uh, Moscanus. I think I've been there. Um, uh, let's talk about this work exchange uh, for local travel experiences. Devery? Yeah, our next signal speaks about WorkAway, which is a popular work and volunteer exchange site that allows people to, uh, different types of opportunities for both adventure and community service while traveling. So when people help out, they are paid through food and housing accommodation. Um, there are other websites like WorkAway with unique offerings dependent upon a person's preference. So for example, there's uh, in the signal, there's another site called Trusted House Sitters, which is a platform that is ideal for animal lovers um, or world packers, uh, which com- comes complete with an in- insurance package that safeguards an experience if it's not um, what the host originally promised to uh, the volunteer. Uh, for people seeking alternative travel plans that can benefit local communities, uh, work and volunteer exchange sites uh, seem the way to go. So Kat, um, I want to ask you quickly, do you anticipate the rising popularity of volunteer travel to slow down at all? Yeah, so I, I do want to preface that saying by saying that in a lot of the conversations that we've had just now, there's also this lingering theme of equity, right? There's a lack of equity in real estate in this type of uh, working vacation that also applies to volunteering. Um, it, you know, it does take a certain amount of privilege to decide to volunteer abroad instead of 
working from home, taking care of her family, or maybe have a chronic illness. Um, so there is that conversation to be had. But that being said, I don't see volunteer, you know, volunteer work slowing down just because, um, well, at least for a Gen Zer like myself, the way we think of uh, blurred responsibility, moral imperative, these key elements of culture that I know you'll tap on later. Yeah. Um, but especially for blurred responsibility, you know, if we don't see the change that we're seeing, we're going to go take action ourselves. And especially with Gen Z, Gen Alpha, this increasing need to do something to improve our world, I think that will keep us going out there and going on trips like this. Um, mm -hmm. But I'll pass it to you because I know you want to talk about moral well, I have a question for Ben. So Ben, why do you think this form of travel is popular to begin with? Do you think that there is a moral imperative at play here? So I, it's, I'm glad you asked me this because I actually have some firsthand experience with this. In the, for two months in the fall of 2013, I went and lived in Hanoi in Vietnam uh, working for a climate change-focused nonprofit. And like the, the, the shortest version of the story is that I was looking for something cool to do before I applied to graduate school. I got hooked up through the internet and through connections with this really amazing nonprofit and you know they gave me like a tiny stipend and I just came in and did this one project this 10 week project for them and honestly it was one of the best experiences it was one of the best adult experiences of my life it was incredible um I felt like I really got a sense of the way that things work in you know I mean obviously I didn't learn everything about Vietnam but it was a real experience I was not a tourist I was there I was really involved in a project I felt like I did something valuable for this company made real connections I, I came away from that like a better more interesting person, but I did get some advice before I left or before as I was looking that I think is really applicable here and why and what the moral imperative is. I was told by the friend in Vietnam, if you're going to approach these companies, look, there is voluntourism is not a new thing. There are plenty of people who want to show up and build a school and play with kids and all that stuff. And ultimately, that's a nice thing to do. But you're a burden to those groups if you're doing that. I mean, sometimes they can sometimes they actually like the help, but a lot of them just sort of raise money off of that. And it's not really helping that all that much. And so the suggestion was, if I was going to do it, I should come with a real skill and a real plan for how to really help these organizations. And I did some digital marketing work, and it ended up being really, really awesome. So my, my, my moral imperative here, my take for anyone who is interested in this slightly different kind of working vacation, would be to do it, because it can be a life-changing experience if you have the resources, if you have the time, but to make sure that you can actually make a difference and that you're not just doing your vacation in their space in a developing country, but that you leave the company better than it was than when you found it. Um, let's move on to our, our final signal here, um, thinking about vacations. And I just kind of loved ending on, on this one. Um, people, Emma Goldberg told, told the New York Times last year, need a vacation. Um, but at a time where it's harder than ever to either literally or figuratively separate yourselves from your work, Goldberg uh, reports that bosses are having uh, to get to creative to remind people sometimes to force them to take time off. She cites technology company Notarize, uh, which required a week off of work, calling it Operation Chillax. Um, now, Anna Lee, if this offends your uh, newly European ears, it definitely should. The average American um, left one third of their vacation time on the table in 2021. I know there was a pandemic, but you can still take some time off. Um, and something that I know that certainly the French and large parts of Europe are horrified by that. Uh, but time off isn't just a luxury, it really can be a necessity. Knowledge workers are like athletes, says Wendy Barnes, chief people officer of GitLab. If you're training, training, training for a marathon or you're training to get that gold medal or to go to the Olympics, you need to take that time off to rest and to recharge. And I tag this really strongly to that uh, first element of culture we saw in the briefing about the 
uh, inherent value, not just of, of a mental health value, not just of taking a vacation, but really taking time off. So I guess the question for the panel is, is there an ethical issue with their uh, with bosses uh, demanding that uh, employees take time off? Or is this the kind of way that a company could say, signal that it takes that sort of mental health break really seriously? And Mark, I might pick on you because I see your head sort of nodding with all of this. Um, you're, uh, you're our COO. What's, what's your take on, on this, like, the forced vacation for, for mental health benefits? <laughs> well, I mean, I think I'm just reading the signal, and I think that is, in fact, the world we live in where, you know, the boundaries and the sort of constraints that people are used to seeing and having around them and work just aren't there. Yeah. So I think it's sort of people slip into this mode of not vacationing or taking time off. Uh, so I don't, I don't think it's a... a moral problem for yeah. employers to be doing that. In fact, I think it's probably something they need to, and people managers in general need to be checking in more in terms of not only just how a person is performing in the organization, but how they're feeling and how they're, yeah. how they're doing mentally. Yeah, and it might be the kind of thing um, that companies may want to make clear when they hire people, that it's like, we expect you to use all your... If, if I was interviewing somewhere and I heard that, I would think that was a pretty special, yeah. positive thing to hear, you know? Yeah, I also think, like, just... Oh, sorry, did I just cut someone off? Uh, Mark, why don't you finish your thought, and then Queenie will have something. I was going to say, you know, I, one of the big takeaways for me is the blurring of so many boundaries here. You know, the yeah. working vacation totally. is blurring um, the nomad, you know, uh, phenomenon. And here, you know, I could imagine a world where uh, companies talk more about time off and then time away, and they might think differently about that. That's really interesting. Separate those. We might yeah. talk less about vacation days and vacation hours, right? So somebody who has been sort of burning the candle at both ends, maybe what they need is to sort of dial back. Yeah. But they're still engaged in some amount of work. I mean, I think there's so many different varieties of things that we haven't really thought about where vacation has usually been in either you're working or you're not binary situation, and it simply isn't that way anymore. Yeah, or, or I've been wondering about the value of bringing in, I mean, the sick day is kind of gone. You'd be really sick to not be able to work from your bed, right? But do we change those to recharge days? where we say, we expect you to take a certain level of recharge days. Go to France if you want to on them, but we expect you to have some time away. Queenie, did you want to add something before we hit wrap-ups? Yeah, I was just going to say that, to me, it's, it's less about an ethical issue and a little bit more about, um, I think, the fact that bosses are now demanding their subordinates take vacation might be an indication of something bigger here. Um, perhaps we're at a juncture where we are facing growing pains, maybe culturally. It kind of signals to me culturally there might be a... Um, it's, it's a time for us to refresh and take stock and just reckon with what we, you know, again, back going back to the very beginning of our conversation, what it means to work, what it means to take vacation and just rethink both those realms, which traditionally have been kind of diametrically opposed to each other. But now um, it, it seems like culturally we are due for some sort of refresh or some sort of revisiting of those concepts. Love that. So let's jump into our wrap up. So some quick pithy thoughts here. Kat, I mean, we've talked about Airbnb, we've talked about hotels. Um, I guess I'm, I'm curious here, what are the big sort of, like, consumer insights that you've taken away from today? Like, what is the, the consumer-level thought um, about how these working vacations uh, need to sort of manifest themselves across brands? Yeah, my big takeaway is that productivity is no longer about the workplace. It's no longer about how much can I get done in eight hours. It's... It's feeling productive in terms of your body and soul. I know that sounds kind of woo-woo, but like how you... This is a safe space to be woo-woo. 
it's feeling, you know, how your body and soul and mind can all feel nourished and fulfilled. And that really depends on where you're working, not just sitting in a chair. Yeah. Um, so that's a huge trend. But also, I think this can also speak to just breaking down traditional notions of capitalism, right? Like, no longer is work being done in a cubicle at a desk, but now it could be in Tulum. I could be in Queenie's backyard. Like, going on to this ongoing effort of decentralizing and really questioning um, yeah. kind of what are these pillars upholding society. I am very for running a briefing from Queenie's backyard. Queenie! Um, <laughs> I guess I'm curious, like, what do organizations need to think? I mean, we've talked a ton today about productivity. Um, are there, is this just the kind of thing that's important for those internal teams that we were talking about, or are there other organizations that might need to think a, a little bit more about what this means, say, I don't know, like boards of tourism? Yeah, I think definitely boards of tourism, um, anyone who works in the realm of travel, hospi hospitality, um, I think those are the more directly related ones. Um, I think if we think about organizations, I think also just any company with humans need to think about this, um, what it means to work, what it means to have vacation, what PTO means, what sick days look like. Um, any, I think the any organizations in the world of housing or real estate, um, Annalie talked about these Zoom towns, I think that that there could be a lot there. There may be other phenomena that are going to spring up. And then, of course, you know, given that the mental health pandemic EOC was our top one, I think any organization, academic, corporate, otherwise, anything that deals with mental health or wellness definitely is part of this. Love that. Annalie, let me bring you in here really quick to talk about some of those trends. I mean, again, our, our, our big top trend here was sort of that mental health uh, pandemic. But I, I think we were also talking about some of the moral imperatives, some of the the technological trends about how this remote work is done. So as, as we close out this briefing, what is your big sort of takeaway trend to focus on as we think more about these, this emergence of the working vacation? Look, I, I, I wanted to caution that, um, you know, not everybody is single, footloose, and fancy-free. There are a lot of people who are in relationships. They, they live with another person or they have family commitments. So work tends to have a relationship with the individual but that individual is often attached to other responsibilities caregiving responsibilities parenting responsibility marital responsibilities and all of those things can get very very complicated when you're um, working uh, from home um, or whether you're expected to work whilst on vacation and I think that it's super important for people to be able to carve out space for, um, for themselves and their uh, family priorities or their relationship priorities um, and, and carve out time where they can be totally on for work. So yes, it's great if you can balance these, um, but it is also, sadly, a, a fact that more and more people are, str are struggling with mental health issues, and I'm not sure that people are actually coping. Uh, mm. We've seen some research that people, hybrid workers, are now more burnt out than ever, and that is because there is kind of never off. So that would be just my caution is that uh, as we see Mark mentioned how it's sort of getting more and more blurry, yeah. that that, that is going to require time management skills uh, at an individual level um, in order to maintain mental health. Um, yeah. And the other thing that I think we forget about mental health is not just about the hours that you work, 
is are you working on something that matters that you're engaged mm-hmm. with that makes a difference that you're passionate about because then work feels less like a chore yeah i love that and, and annalee i think uh, i just to reinforce that the idea that this is a trend for people in their 20s and 30s and maybe 60s and thinking about how do we also expand that to people in their 40s and 50s who might be in the throes or 30s, 40s and 50s. People are in the throes of, 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 of caregiving. So, Devry, I'm going to ask you to wrap up here. Um, where do you land? Is the working vacation the next big thing or is it an oxymoron? I think the new R&R will be rest and responsibility. I think that, you know, going forward, the new normal will be, you know, it, as the lines blur, it'll be just sort of marrying the two. So, uh, you know, with the pandemic and people uh, turning their beds into their offices, you know, we already were starting to condition ourselves to that marriage. Um, so I think we'll just see, uh, you know, new iterations of that in the future. Love that. All right. That's going to take us through our briefing for the day. A mega, mega shout out uh, to my co-briefer, Devery Velasquez. And of course, a huge shout out as well uh, to Kat, Queenie and Anna Lee. A thank you to our studio audience. Thank you for joining uh, us online. You can join us Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday on our LinkedIn page. While you're there, jump in the comment section. Let us know your thoughts on uh, where you're working from. Just don't tell us how good the weather in Hawaii is. I can't stand that. Um, If you're interested in Q, the cultural intelligence platform we use to build today's briefings, please feel free to reach out. It gives us incredible quantitative and qualitative rigor as we look into these subjects. Tomorrow, we are doing a horizontal briefing, a culture du jour, which will be really exciting. But I did want to plug our Thursday briefing. We'll be talking about where does Judaism fit into the inclusion narrative? It's going to be a really interesting DEI topic that we actually haven't ever addressed before. We've got some really cool uh, guests joining us. So that'll be a really great briefing uh, for, uh, for you guys, to, to, for you and your Bubby and your Zeta. So um, until next time, consider yourselves briefed. Mm-hmm.